Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Comic Talk, the podcast. My name is Jesse Rivera. Today is Monday, December 21st. This is episode number 84. Today, my good friend Damian Harmony comes back and he is joined with his good friend, Mr. Ed Blaylock. They are a couple of educators. They are also a couple of nerds who host their own podcast called A Geek History in Time. You can find it on all the social medias. Just Google it. You can find it. Check the episode page and I will possibly post a link to it. We had a great chat. Uh, Started off talking about some nerdy shit. And then we ended up talking about um, Damien and Ed are both educators. And we talked about what it was like having to teach from home and I talked about what it's like having to work from home and of course like what was our jobs like before the pandemic what did they turn into during the pandemic and what do we anticipate is going to become of our jobs after the pandemic and very insightful stuff and teachers I mean everybody that's had to work through this pandemic give them a big thumbs up it's it's been horrible for everybody teachers especially right um give them a break man they they got to do a lot of stuff that i know i would be challenged having to do myself so enough about that we'll get to that in a minute the mandalorian man is that great all right that's all i'll say i hope you're watching the mandalorian this uh on christmas day i'm actually looking forward to wonder woman and i believe on the 22nd kajillionaire is finally going to be available to rent instead of having to buy it so I'm looking forward to renting Kajillionaire. I'm looking forward to watching Wonder Woman 1984. And what's the one on Disney? Is it called Soul? The one, like the music one? That one looks pretty good. So I think that is my uh, watch list for this coming week. Thankfully, I am off on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So I'm going to be kicking back, watching some movies, hanging out with the family. Still here in Bakersfield. Still, this week I'm finally starting to really miss uh, Sacramento. Um, I really just miss my living room. It's so comfy. It's so cozy. Got all of my records. I know where all my stacks are. I'm I'm enjoying it here at at my mom's house. Believe me, I am having a great time. But I do kind of miss my living room. And I think I'll be heading home here soon. I'm not sure when, though. I don't know. I'm just going to play it by ear. So, now, without further ado... Please enjoy episode number 84 of Comic Talk, the podcast. Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, streaming, watching, whatever you do. I appreciate you. Take care. Bye. Hey, Damien, how the hell are you guys? Doing doing well. Hanging in. You know, yeah. keeping, keeping the stick on the ice. Yes, yeah, I hear that. Saturday uh, morning, so we're both recovering from last night's recording. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and talk about what you guys recorded last night? Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, yeah. So I'm Damien Harmony, uh, local teacher of Latin, local stand-up comic, local punmeister, uh, and this is my good friend and partner. Hi, I'm Ed Blaylock, lo- uh, sort of local. Uh, I, I actually... In, in the in the before times, I, I taught uh, 50 miles away. I actually took the train to and from. So I don't know if I could call myself really a local teacher. I You're live an local. So You're there an expat. You go. Yeah. yeah, I'm an expat. 
there you go yeah um and yeah so yeah we were we were recording last night uh talking about our 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 subject last night was uh cartoons that deserved more time yes so uh you can tell from that that of course we're both hopeless dorks um <laughs> and uh, and also of a certain age uh although damien takes a lot of joy in, in pointing out that he is of a certain age younger than mine so well, how, yeah how hopeless am i because when you mentioned that topic i was like oh that sounds awesome <laughs> oh it's it was it was a fun one like and, and it was a palate cleanser episode and turned into two episodes because ed and i can't shut yeah. up uh, but uh, it it's a it's a palate cleanser because we just spent ten episodes on Batman and as fun as Batman is, it's dark. It's super dark. So we were like, we need to just cleanse the palate a little bit. Uh, and so we were like, kids' cartoons, let's do that. And so we needed something fun. Yes. After all of that time, sounding like Christian Bale, we needed to lighten <laughs> up really badly. Yeah. So yeah. What's, what's the name of your guys's podcast and where can we find it? Uh, we are a geek history of time, uh, and we're on Spotify. We're on the iTunes Store. We're on you. You Stitcher. On yeah. Stitcher, right? Yep. All the majors. Yeah, yeah. yeah the big yeah. three hitters. We we have yeah. audience members in India to Italy. So, wow, that's yeah. great. Yeah. How long have you guys been doing that? Ninety-two episodes as of last night. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're basically weekly episodes. So for geez, coming up on two years now. Coming up on two years, yeah. Gee, but yeah. crisp. I know. Did you Seriously? think it would? Mm -hmm. Did you think it would last this long? I did. I I, I did. think. I think. I think. I hoped it would. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know if I really believed necessarily that it would, but I hoped it would because, you know, the, the genesis of the idea was, uh, you know, we were we we were in you know playing tabletop RPG games together, and uh, anytime we got together in person we wound it up we, we always wound up riffing on like the weird real world stuff that was tied to you know pop culture anything and mm -hmm. and we found that our particular geekdoms there are a couple of places where we overlap but like i'm a huge huge obsessive tolkien nerd and he is the singular scholar of professional wrestling like all the way back to forever like yeah. in my circle of friends, anyway. I, I, you know, I don't know. In, in, in within in that fan circles too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so people are know. like, Damien, tell us about George Hackenschmidt. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do that. All right. You know. Yeah. And see, and see, since we started doing the podcast, I now recognize who you're talking about when you say <laughs> George Hackenschmidt. Like, yeah. I don't just immediately think, oh, his name is my name too. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, which which before we started doing the podcast, I'd have been like, who? What? Some right. German guy? What? You know. Mm -hmm. And and so we we have the opportunity to kind of teach each other something and uh and rant for you know an hour plus at a time about something that we that we care about, we're passionate about. And so yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's yeah. cheaper than therapy too. And so. and what's yeah. what's neat about it is that normally like there there are shows where you've got a pair of guys and uh one of them teaches the other about something and the other one knows nothing about it. That's like four or five of the podcasts that I listen to. Um like a, a an expert will teach a comic about something. Um but in this case, I'm an historian 
talking to another historian about an aspect of history he doesn't know much about and vice versa. And so we have all that historian training that enables us to build upon what the other one's saying, even without, so you've got the, the exploration of the person who's the lay, uh, the lay person compared to the local expert, as it were. And you have like, I don't know, it's, it's a different vibe than just, I'm going to teach this person who knows nothing about the thing. And instead, I'm going to teach this person who knows plenty, just not about that thing. And so we're able to to build to a deeper level of geekdom, I think. And it's it's yeah. it's been a lot of fun. The only the problem we're running into now, at least that I'm running into, is that 92 episodes in, we're finally getting to topics where I was just like, I kept putting them off because there were more exciting topics. And now I'm like, okay, I really do need to cover this topic now. I and so yeah. that's that's the the conundrum I'm, I'm running into. But that's a good problem to have because I can I still do all that. I was about to say, yeah, that's, that's a good problem to have. Um, because yeah. you guys talked about, because you mentioned um, cartoon characters, um, I just want to mm -hmm. say that um, <clears throat> my favorite cartoon character of all time is uh, Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I love right. Foghorn Leghorn. And right along the same lines, I loved Yosemite Sam. And uh, looking back on them, neither one of them very politically correct. No, no, yeah. oh no. <laughs> one was no. hyper racist and one was hyper misogynist. So <laughs> they they Wait, were hilarious. Which one was which? <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn <laughs> was absolutely the misogynist, even though he was the southern gentleman. Uh, yeah, you know, because yeah. because you said super racist, and the very first thing I immediately thought of was boy, boy. I say boy. Oh wow, I missed that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Oh. I say, I say, I say again. I repeat. But, <laughs> but remember yeah. the remember the episode of of Foghorn Leghorn where like he walks into the hen house and like the hens are just passing out because he's so gorgeous. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so man. Yeah, yeah, we did. Doesn't, we did doesn't like stand up to modern, modern, uh, 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 modern interpretation very well. No, yeah, and that's okay. We did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We did cartoons that like I, I apparently had a pattern. Every cartoon that I picked only had thirteen episodes, um, and uh, and were all subversive as heck. Uh, whereas, can we swear on this podcast? I forget. You can say whatever the fuck you Sweet. want. Sweet. All right, cool. All right. Uh, but they were all subversive as fuck. And, uh, and Ed picked ones that absolutely were related to his self-image on some level. Um, so it was, it was really fun to just kind of see. And that's the other thing is that we both zoom out and pick each other apart on the, the topics that we choose, too. That's uh, interesting what you just yeah. said about that. So do you yeah. guys record remotely or... or you guys are recording remotely these days oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh you know and and the thing is it's it's weird uh we we had to we had to do some technical tweaking uh at the very beginning we, we had we had a little bit of a lag while we figured out when we knocked some of the some of the kinks out uh trying to figure out how to record over skype uh to do it and um sadly one of one of the there, there is a there is a third member of our of our team uh, who, you know, unfortunately for technical reasons, we, we haven't really been able to, to have him with us. Mm -hmm. uh, that's producer George, uh, who when we're recording in person, he's there, you know, checking our levels and occasionally, you know, flinging an, an unexpected Bon Mott, you know, from the sidelines. Uh, and, and we haven't, and, and I, I miss having him there. 
Me too. Um, you know, uh, but uh, just with, with the way we're trying to do things on a, on a technical level, we can't figure out how to get a third channel into, into the recording yet. Um, but uh, so we're, we're kind of down one leg of the stool a little bit. Uh, and then um, there is something I think that's, that's been lost in the uh in our performance because Mm -hmm. when we're actually in the room together we can kind of interject without necessarily always stepping on each other's toes and so uh there there are a lot of kind of pauses in our in our recordings right now while one of us is like can I, can I jump in here? Can I, yeah. can I, you know? Yeah. Oh, you were going to yeah. say something. Go ahead. You know? Yeah. Oh, like, oh yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of thing going on a lot. And I mean, those are, those are both to various, various degrees. Those are, those are downsides, but the, the upside to it is uh, we've been, we've been able to pretty consistently record just about every week mm-hmm. uh, prior to, prior to the plague in the before times, we would get together on a Friday night about once a month, maybe once every other week, if we were really like hot to do it. Um, and I, we, we recorded over at Damien's place and, and I, you know, producer George and I'd go over there and we'd bust out four episodes a night. At least. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes Except, five, sometimes five, depending mm-hmm. on, on, you know, how, how well the cylinders were all clicking. Um, and then, and then we, we'd have, you know, kind of a long lag time. And so, um, I know for me with everything else that we've had going on, having the consistent, like, I know that I'm going to be talking to Damien on Friday night, uh, has, has been, uh, really helpful on a mental health level. Yeah. while while the world has been while the world has been going through everything the world has been going through not just with covid but you know politics and everything else that's been going on you know uh this anim horribilis uh as as the queen would say uh you know knowing knowing that you know okay friday night you know i'm gonna get to you know groan at damien's shitty puns and uh you know and and get angry and get angry jesse nodding and have it, have it be recorded and hello <laughs> good day sir adam you know over the internet um you know has it's, it's been it's been a touchstone on an emotional level and i think i think that's been that's been really good that's nice to hear so, i haven't i haven't heard that between the good day sirs um but <laughs> <laughs> well you know they're pretty loud yeah it's true and they are they are necessary uh i would say that uh thinking about that i kind of have the same because it's not like during the plague times i can go out on dates or catch shows on a friday night so now my friday nights are still you know that kind of cool thing it's my my final indulgence of the week kind of thing before my weekend kicks in um and the real work starts and so yeah i the the only downside is that now i have to research a lot more frequently instead of just do like a weekend where I do nothing but research and that takes care of the next month or two. Now it's, I kind of have to keep that spigot on a little bit, you know, but that's, that's not a bad problem to have again either. So yeah, yeah, that's nice to hear Ed. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and ditto. I I didn't realize that I've been enjoying it on that level, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, I, I, you know, have, have, you know, another, 
you know, I, I, got, I got other friends that normally I would see a lot more of than, than I would of Damien. And, you know, because of circumstances and their health circumstances uh, in particular, because one of them, uh, you know, is, is uh, taking care of his mom who has uh, kidney failure, is on dialysis, you know, and because of her health, I haven't been able to see that friend since last February. Uh-huh. you know, in, in person. And, uh, you know, and, and so the, the, the ability to get together with a friend, even, even when it's virtual is, is a big fucking deal. Yeah. Right. 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 You know? So, yeah. Um, when, when it all started, did you guys have any, any downtime at all? Or did you guys just immediately because like when like Damien recorded with my podcast and it was like how you said it was your Friday night um Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have it like it would always be a Saturday morning you'd come over we'd have some coffee um we'd always have a good time you know and um when when the when the pandemic started did you guys have like a, a rough transition like did it did it stop for a little bit or did you guys immediately transition what was that like we had a few episodes in the can, so we knew we had time. Yeah. And then I hit up my good friend, Derek Lipkin, uh, who is uh, a fantastic punter in his own right. Uh, he's a, a Bay Area millennial. He's a lawyer. He's and he's he, he raps freestyle for fun. He wrote a musical about pinballs. Um, yeah. But uh, he actually was a, a friend of the show and a guest on the show. He, he spent two episodes lecturing to us about pinball, um, the history of pinball. Um, but, uh, he, uh, yeah, he, uh, he taught me, uh, what we needed to do. And he walked me through the whole thing. Cause I knew that this would be a thing that we would need to do if this was going to continue. And right. I knew that there's no reason a podcast can't continue doing it remotely. So the only, yeah. uh, the only lag would be my, uh, technical inexpertise or my technical inability. And so the, the result was, uh, that it, we had a couple episodes in the can. And then we were able to come out of the shoot and we had plenty of stuff researched and ready. Yeah. And what do you think? So the audience um, never noticed they they're, 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 oh, go ahead. No, what, what do you think it's going to be like afterwards? Because like, I, I, I loved having people over the house. Um, but then it also like, that was like, it was hard for me to like get people from the Bay and people from out of town. So like now that's not a problem for me. Um, you guys don't really have guests. Are you looking forward to, to getting it back to the way it was? Or do you think you're going to keep doing it this way? What, what Have you thought that far ahead? I know. I know. I'm really looking forward to being able to record in person again. Same. Um, and Damien and I have talked about it. I know he's looking forward to it, too. I think, you know, the the one of one of the bright spots in this is if we wind up in a situation going forward where like on a particular week, um, you know, we find out at the last minute, you know, Oh shit, you know, I can't leave the house. I got something going on or whatever. We now have this in our toolbox. Yes. So, you know, whoever can get together in person can be getting together in person. We can have, you know, whoever isn't there, you know, call in and we can still record. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think my preference, I know, shit, think, I know my preference <laughs> is going to be to go back to uh, uh, 
recording in person because the the vibe is different you know the energy is is i think at a little bit of a higher pitch when we do it that way mm-hmm. but um yeah totally yeah. Trying to if that's yeah. actually an answer to the question it yeah, is it is because we're, we're both looking forward to being in person and we both have this tool that we can use yeah. when you got a sick kid or when you know I, any number of possibilities but yeah, yeah. whatever whatever life gets in the way yeah, yeah. it won't right and so like okay so you guys are teachers and i work in tech so um when we transitioned to working from home like we were like yes we wanted this forever (laughs) right Um, we've already done it a lot like when we were feeling sick or we were traveling it was not odd at all to be like hey i'm gonna work from home the rest of this week and it was Mm -hmm. not a big deal so when we transitioned to work from home we were like i said we were like finally um and now looking ahead uh they're telling us it's probably going to be up to you whether or not you want to come back to the office and if you want to come back to the office uh you can come back the whole time you can come back one day a week two days a week but it's going to be a schedule it's not just going to be you know um Mm -hmm. what was it like transitioning teaching to home and i know well i guess i know for sure it was hectic it was crazy but what, what were some of the, the hurdles that you jumped and what's been some of the, the, the positives from it? Ed, your story has the most contrast to it. Why don't you go first? All right. Um, yeah. You know, my, my prior experience, like, as I mentioned, you know, a little while ago, uh, you know, before we went to distance learning uh, back in, back in March of last year, um, my commute was over an hour each way. Uh, taking the train I, I would I would leave the house I would try to get out the door by uh, no absolutely no later than 6 30 and if I got out the door before 6 15 I was in really good shape uh, to get on a train at 7 a.m to get to to get out to work in time to you know report for you know contract time for my day and then I'd wind up taking a train home getting on the train uh, at about a little before four o'clock and then finally getting home somewhere around five 30 ish. Um, and so one, that is a long oh, ass day. It's, it's yeah. But you it know, started the, the, with some the of the most beautiful poetry though, too. Like Ed, Ed is a poet um, in addition to many of his other skills. Uh, and he would write these really neat poems as he's on the train. It was, it was cool. Like I looked forward to that on my Facebook every day. I refer to it as train poetry. Damien is being very kind. It's 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 prose that you know has has a poetic spirit to it. But yeah, such a European you know, it way gave of me, life. Yeah, you know, yeah. It it gave me it it did give me the opportunity to have a very clear. And this is actually something I kind of miss about it in a weird way. There was a really clear distinction between okay, I'm at home, mm-hmm. and okay, I'm at work. You know, I had I had all of that time in the morning to put on put on the Mr. Blaylock face and and get into get into the psychic frame of mind to be like, okay, they're 12. I need to be the adult. You know, I had, you know, that that time to to kind of do the you know, psych myself up in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I had time to decompress and get ready to be home 
and you know whatever had happened during the day however rough the day had been whatever i had some time to veg out and kind of get that out of my system so i could so i could come home and and not have it taken up space in my head yeah, so that you don't bring it home with you. that is not yeah and and that is not there anymore um in a in a really major way uh, because my, my, in, in my own circumstances, uh, we're, we're living in a, in a two bedroom apartment. And so we don't have an office. We don't have a spare room or any place. So my classroom is literally one end of my dining room table. Mm -hmm. And like right now, uh, yesterday or day before yesterday was our last day of instruction before winter break. And so for the last several weeks, the kids have been looking at my Christmas tree behind me because, you know, that's, that's where we put it. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's just how we set our place up for Christmas. And, um, and so for, for mealtime and everything, I have to try to, you know, tuck my classroom away in one corner of the table. And it's kind of, and, and my wife and I both made a decision last night. She suggested it and I, I wholeheartedly agreed with her. Because uh, for the last couple of weeks, she's been working from home uh, because we've been in quarantine. Um, and so uh, so she's she's been working from home. Our, our little boy has not been going to daycare. And uh, so her her workspace is one of the other seats at our dining table. So we have to literally move work out of the way to have dinner. And and that, I think had that that has definitely been stressful for us that sounds um, chaotic you know yeah oh yeah and and you know add a toddler and like That's everything what, because i was just thinking i was just thinking <laughs> of the whole thing i was just thinking of two adults working with the toddler in a two-bedroom apartment and not getting that i i never i hadn't thought about how because okay because like i immediately thought to myself this is so great we no longer have that commute to work and like that was something yeah. that but then when you mentioned it i do remember how much that drive home from work helped me not bring the office home with me so that by the time i walked back into the house i was jesse again i wasn't you know work, work jesse anymore so yeah that's pretty intense, dude. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, when, when we went into distance learning in March, um, I was comparatively much more fortunate than Damien in some professional ways in that my district, the, the ways in which his district and my district are fucked up are uh, dramatically different um his his is run by a criminal cartel mine is run by uh semi-competent on a good day politicians and so and and you know and, and i'm saying that with a smile on my face because you know if, if you talk to teachers anywhere any teacher any public school teacher you talk to anywhere is is going to have a laundry list of ways that the district office is fucking them over like that's just that's part of the job Mm -hmm. uh -huh. that's that's like the, the biggest the biggest things we have to complain about are oh my god the kids never want to do what you tell them like at all levels that's always a thing mm -hmm. and and you know i'd be able to do my job so much better if i didn't have my sword arm getting jogged constantly 
by these assholes at the district office. Like that's, that's it. And so, you know, um, but, but my district decided in a, in a, what turned out to be a prophetic kind of crazy to go to one-to-one, every kid has a Chromebook. We're going to provide every kid in the district with a Chromebook. They decided to do that back before any, but before COVID even existed at the beginning of last, last school year. Um, or actually it was the year before that they, they just said, okay, one-to-one we're doing it. We're spending the money. We're giving them all the Chromebooks. And I mean, the, the, the handout was ham fisted and they got a whole lot of details of distribution wrong. And and there was a bunch of other stuff that was a problem, but all of my kids were already, already had at least half of the tools they needed to do distance learning. Um, and, and during March, my district worked really hard. And as, as much as I hate to give him credit for anything, my principal really worked his ass off to uh, make sure that we knew which of our kids were having problems with broadband access and put them in, in contact with resources that the district was putting out to make sure every kid had internet access that every kid had their Chromebook that they had a charger that it was all up and going and so when it came time to you know flip on the on switch and go hey welcome to Mr. Blaylock's virtual classroom back in March um, I actually had students in attendance when we did that uh, which was which was a which was a blessing that I don't, I don't think, I think Damien can, can talk about his experiences with it, uh, that were, that were profoundly different. Um, and then, and, you know, and, and since then, I think, you know, talking about positives about all this, I miss, and I'm going to get to a positive. I know that I say talking about positives, I miss sounds weird, but I, I really miss being in the room with the kids. I miss the kinds of activities I could do in person with them. I miss seeing their faces um, you know, one, one of the things that you don't realize you do, it's a soft skill that you develop as a teacher that's kind of subconscious, is you take the temperature of the room every period, every day, mm-hmm. without even really realizing you're doing it. You know, as the kids are coming in, you can kind of tell what's the vibrational pitch, like, like how amped are we? Is, is, there, is there an angry edge to it? Is everybody just, you know, Looney Tunes because we got a break coming up, you know, and, and you, it's, it's like spider sense for teachers. Like, like you, you know that. And when you're, and when you're talking to a screen, you really can't do that. Um, and I miss, I miss that a lot, but what I think has happened is teaching from my living room. It's a lot harder for me to maintain my usual level of, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Blaylock. Uh, my first name is Mr. You know, I also go by sir, you know, um, it's, it's harder for me to maintain that. And so I think my kids know me better mm-hmm. this year in, in some ways and listening to them interacting with each other, seeing them interacting with each other in, in like classroom meets and that kind of stuff. I think they are, many of them are learning a kind of a new a new appreciation for one another like the fact that they are that they are apart is i think for many of them 
making them more empathetic. Um, and I think, I think there is value in that. I, I think, I mean, you know, if, if we could have avoided this massive, you know, population wide trauma, I think that would have been great. But I, I think as a positive coming out of it, I think they are learning to be gentler with one another. They are learning the value of looking for help when they need it. And, and I think that's, that's meaningful. And I think that's important. That's some good stuff. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Yeah. My experience is a bit different. Uh, I only commuted 20 minutes uh, and it was nice. Cause on the way home I'd sleep. Uh, but, uh, much the consternation of people on I-5. Um, but, uh, <laughs> took you a minute there, Jesse. <laughs> uh, actually, I do, uh, I do have a story about that. When I was, uh, living over, uh, off of, uh, Biz 80, I fell asleep at the beginning of the turn on the off-ramp and woke up at the end of the turn on the off-ramp and I'd made the turn successfully. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the point at which I was like, something has to change. So I changed things around so I didn't sleep so much uh, on the road. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> not as much. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, yeah. sorry. Just hearing that, my my ass still hasn't unclenched. God, <laughs> mighty, oh, yeah, crap. it was. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I commuted, um, and I kind of missed that commute. Um, it's, it was the only drive that I actually enjoyed is if I took the river road to work, I don't really enjoy driving now I'm getting four months to the gallon and that's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I've got two kids who are of school age at home. And so the teaching, I spent over a hundred hours over the summer, revamping my class, restructuring it, redoing everything. So the kids had everything they needed digitally, um, uh, going forward so that even if technology broke down on them, because I knew it would. Uh, they would be able to catch back up. And I set up my class in such a way that you can access it when you need to. It does not matter if you get to it at midnight, if you've inverted your sleeping schedule or whatever, mm. because my district so badly bungled the the spring reaction. Um, they actually put out a cease and desist letter against us to ha- telling us not to help the kids like for three weeks. That That was the only clear communication they had, by the way, about COVID. Um, was to tell us not to help, not to help the kids digitally. Uh, that that so my district uh, so didn't just badly bungle, but like the overlap of malice and incompetence got to the point where it was just irrelevant. It was all really bad. So a lot of us did guerrilla teaching. So I I knew that that could still happen. So I recorded a ton of content for my students and put it somewhere where the district had no say over it whatsoever. And now I can reference that to the kids if they're not getting it during the, the Zoom teaching. Uh, and then I have two school-aged children and um, they, they spend half their time at their moms and half their time with me, but I've, I've requested and been granted um, from her the ability to keep them for three days of the school week uh, for all of school um, because my house is uh, kind of, I don't want to say better for it, but they have a teacher in-house right there with them who knows what they're going through, who knows what the teacher's probably expecting and whatnot. And so even though my kids could be in their rooms and I could be in this office while my kids are here, I don't. I put everything out on the dining room table and we all work together. And sometimes, you know, we've all got these earphones. Kids can, my kids can go into the other room if I'm too loud for them because I'm teaching. 
Um, but we're always within earshot of each other. We're always with each other on this. And it, I think that's really helped my kids find success quite a bit. Um, it's also helped humanize me in front of my students because I'll tell them like, oh, hang on a second. I have to go do some math. And then I'll come back and, uh, and they get that. And they also recognize that I get that their life will get in the way. So they don't owe me an explanation on that. Um, they also see, you know, the things that are in the background in my house, which they're like, is that a bow and arrow? I'm like, yeah, it's my daughter's. What? Yeah. And the spear, that's mine. And they're like, what? you know, so like most of my program, my Latin program is literally, I'm the only Latin program within 89 miles for a public school. I'm the only teacher in my district who does it. And so my program lives and dies based on kind of the cult of personality that I can, that I can create with my students. So I'm having to do it. I used to be able to do it in person really, really well. I can do it 40% as well now. So I milk that as much as I can. But at the end of the day, I make sure that my kids and I, we have a pattern where I converted the shoe rack in our uh, closet, our hall closet, uh, into a docking station for everything. And so now at the end of every school day, I tell them flat out, I'm like, I don't care if you're done or not at 2.30, unless you ask me for an extension to three, you put everything away and we get our dining room table back. And I put everything away at 3.20 when I'm done. So the good news is I have learned to respect my own professional boundaries more because I gave up so much free time over the summer and harmed my health, quite honestly. Um, yeah. And now it's at 320. I stop period because my district is not going to pay my kids extra on my life insurance policy if I keel over. And so I, you know, I, at 320, we stop, we reclaim our dining room table. I take half an hour to just myself. And unless something's broken, there's a bone problem or a bleeding problem, go find something quiet and wind downy to do. And then after that, we can all get together and have fun. And so I, that's how I set my commute now is like, I just hop over to my couch and read something for half an hour. Um, and mm -hmm. as a result, I'm much more present as a dad. Um, I get dinner on the table at five o'clock every night, uh, but it's also a dining room table. And every morning I set a timer and at 820, we all start getting our stuff out and we start putting it there. And that becomes our morning commute ritual. So the positives are I've gotten a lot more time with my kids, which is wonderful. They've gotten a lot more, um, assistance and help in teaching and stuff like that uh, but also they're learning uh, a lot of empathy for each other and, and they're seeing how each other works and learns they're seeing what I do for my student and they're learning their own boundaries and I'm modeling for them hey this is my work life and that can be interrupted for life if it's important but my life life my life life does not get interrupted for for work at all and so it took 19 years and a pandemic, but I finally learned how to put that division in there. So, so uh, you know, my district, I mean, I've had to yell at them, uh, what, six or seven times since the pandemic started, uh, which is an uptick of roughly 20% uh, over normal years, because uh, I'm a union uh, activist uh, for my district, or I'm at least a union rep, as is Ed. Yeah. Yeah, um, it should be it should be noted here that that part of part of the uh, tone of our language when talking about our districts is probably also influenced by the fact that we are both union reps. Yeah, we, we see the sausage getting made and then falling on the floor and then getting put back in. So uh, we, uh, you know, so I, I I've been doing that more. I've been yelling more uh, at my school district uh, as needed, um, but also the collaboration I've had with my boss has been uh, fantastic. Um, and so there, there's, you know, I think that 
at best, we're going to get about 40% of what we need from this year. Um, but I'm going to make sure that it's the 40% that's most crucial. So there are a lot of positives from it. There are a lot of things that have come from it, but I cannot wait to get back in front of kids again uh, in my classroom where, you know, like a bear in a Studebaker, I'm in my natural habitat there. Nice. Well done. Um, I love the bear in the Studebaker reference. Um, what, uh, <laughs> do you think that I, I've, I've spoken to, I've, I've heard from a couple of parents that uh, as a result of all of this, they uh, are going to, and because they're able to, but not a lot of people are able to, I've decided to, that when this is all over, they want to homeschool their children because they liked having their children home. Um, they liked having that interaction with them. Do you think there's going to be a, a big push after this to um, more homeschooling and more of these, uh, like these pods? Like, uh, do, um, I heard a lot of, of like, where like there was like these teaching pods where like one parent would kind of like help out five or six kids uh, work through the, the technology and the lessons. Do you think there's going to be some of that left over after this? I think honestly that this this whole thing has laid bare the inequities of our system more than anything else. And what we're seeing is people um, disengaging from it entirely, uh, partly because it was it, it had um, I mean, it was it was always set up uh, with racist undertones, um, but it had grown like institutionally abusive while getting verbally more woke but it was performative wokeness. It wasn't actually, it was, they were getting wokens. They weren't actually doing things for people. Um, and, and they continued to further marginalize people by their policies. And I think what we're seeing is the, the very, very real uh, abuse and neglect that came from those policies is being laid bare. I think what we're seeing honestly is people disengaging uh, because now it's safe to, there's no truancy offer, officer going to come to you. Um, and I think that it's actually a, a huge blow and a huge step backward for, for folks. But at the same time, we're actually getting to see, you know, we pulled up the rock and we're seeing how many things have been crawling around under there. And we're like, we do need to do something about that. The question is, are we going to? And I, I worry that it'll be too many people will be focused on business as usual. So many, so many of the, the pushes to get kids back into classrooms and get teachers back to classrooms, despite our very realistic objections has been from <clears throat> upper middle class parents who who are touting the fact that you know kids are suffering from mental health concerns and they absolutely are I, I do not want to minimize that but they're co-opting that um and and it seems like you know we have another teacher friend who teaches in my own kids district I won't mention her name because uh she hasn't given us permission to but she's sitting there she's like no you just want to go to your yoga class um, you don't want to actually, you know, have you, you don't care. You just want the help to tend to the children. Um, and so I'm seeing there's a layer of disengagement. There is, uh, there are some people who are saying, wait, this, this was better, but either they have jobs that'll, that will allow them to do that or they don't. And for those that don't, it's still inequitable. So I don't anticipate seeing a large chunk of people, uh, staying away, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, because of how many people I've seen trying to push us into the danger zone. So, yeah, I think I think there there probably will be uh, there. I think there there probably will be a a 
statistical uptick in, you know, seeing kids being homeschooled. Um, because I think, I think for, for folks who have the resources, but had not like considered it as an option, I think there are going to be some of them who are, who are going to wind up adopting that. Um, but I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a smaller number than we might think. I think, I, I agree with Damien. I think there there are an awful lot of people who are. I think most of us really are are focused on trying to get back to normal. And um, I think I think that that is kind of the goal for a whole lot of people. And I want to I want to touch on the the mental health thing for just a second. Um, you know, I want to I want to get. I want to get to the mental health thing. You want to get to the mental health thing, but I kind of wanted to touch on something like, but was normal broken in a sense? Like, do we want to get back to the way it was or do we want to, because like, I think teachers were overlooked, overburdened, underpaid. Um, And I think that we saw that uh, in March and April, like what, what we, what we put on teachers at that time, uh, and then parents had to mm-hmm. had to see what their children behave like during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say get back to normal, do you want it to get back to the way it was eighteen months ago, or do you want it to no. to have learned some lessons from this and maybe the, the the teachers be recognized for like what they what they bring to uh, a household and a family? Yeah, I normal would... normal was broken. I'm, I'm yeah. going to jump in there and say that yeah. number one, normal was broken. Uh, the system relied on me subsidizing the district with my free labor. It 100% relied on that. And now I'm trying to find ways where I'm not giving them six hours of my day beyond my contract because I was doing that, uh, which is wildly imbalanced. Like, I don't know anybody who works for free almost yeah. 100% of their job, you know? Yeah. Uh, every, so yeah. every teacher, every teacher I've mm-hmm. ever known, um, what are you doing this weekend grading papers what do you right. do and at first i thought it was just the teachers i was trying to date but no it was also like my my <laughs> teachers. Yeah. grading papers was the i'm doing my hair right yeah. but, now that uh, everybody showers every day you got something new yeah uh, but, yeah like, i don't i don't want the teachers to have to go back to that because man when when friday five o'clock hits I'm done. I don't work. Yes. I don't have my work email on my phone. I don't worry about work again until Monday mm-hmm. at like 7:30. But yeah. teachers didn't have that. And it was just like it was accepted. And mm-hmm. it was almost like if the teachers complained about that too much, what they would get thrown back at them. Because I did it back in the day when I didn't realize how hard teachers work. Well, you guys get two weeks off for Christmas. You guys get a week off at Thanksgiving. You guys right. get it, and and like that seemed to be the the payoff, but like I don't. Is there a way to to not make teachers work all weekend? Can we learn from? Well, I think we're I learning think, to. Yeah, I, I think I think part of it is within within teaching culture, we we collectively need to move away from this idea of having to sacrifice ourselves. Uh, for for the privilege of doing our job, you know, we we all you know we we get into this job for varying reasons. It's it's usually for some kind of high minded reason, 
uh, you know, it might be because, you know, I love kids in my case, it was because I, I really love my subject and I really want to mm-hmm. share it with, with kids. Um, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to evangelize for how awesome history is, you know, um, and, and it has then turned from there into, you know, wanting to, you know, help educate people who are going to be voters later on in life. Um, and, and, you know, we get into it for these, for these high-minded reasons. And so there's this real easy shift into kind of a martyr complex. Mm-hmm. And I think as a culture, teaching is, has for too long been accepting of the idea that, well, you know, as a teacher, you know, like, like my first year teaching, I got advice from a guy who, who uh, had been doing it for, you know, 30 plus years. And he said, and, and the advice he gave me was, here's what you do during the school year, pick one day on the weekend. And that's going to be your day for doing your, for doing your, your grading and, and doing your papers and everything else. And then keep the other day completely free. And then over the summer, don't let them, don't let them make you do anything. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, okay, this is, this is really good. You know, this, this seems like sensible advice. Now I'm looking at it like, you know what? I don't want to give up one day a week. Right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to highlight something that you said there um, and combine it with what Jesse said. Uh, We get two weeks off during the winter. We don't get paid for those two weeks. We get a week off for the spring. We don't get paid for that week. We get uh, two months off for the summer. We don't get paid for that time. What we do is we stretch 10 months of pay over 12 months. So we already worked the hours for the pay that we're getting in July and August. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that it's we've been squirreling away $600 a month so that July and August aren't lean months kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, or however much we've been making, you know, that kind of thing. I pick in numbers. Um, But, you know, uh, so Ed's absolutely right. Like over the summer, don't let them get you to do anything because you're working for free. You've already worked those hours not a fucking thing yeah Never. So. and and so you know and my 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 own my own take on it now uh having having now had my job literally invade my home uh is when i go back uh when when we go back to in-person instruction when we go back to being on campus um i know and, and i i took this this is taken basically directly out of damien's mouth um i'm gonna really be rethinking like if I'm giving my kids an assignment, I'm going to have to grade that assignment. Mm-hmm. Do I really need to give them an assignment for this? Yeah. Like, you know, how, you know, is, is this something I am going to collect from them? Or am I going to say, okay, we're doing this activity to prepare you for the thing I am going to grade later on. And that's another you know? thing is that, that, that self-care that Ed's talking about, um, that self-protection that we're talking about, it, it trickles down to the kids in a very real and important way and vice versa. This culture that we had allowed to be created, that we participated in creating, allowed us to essentially heap kids up with work um, in the name of rigor, which it isn't, uh, and to heap kids up with work and stress them out. And and if you don't stay on board with everything, you're going to fail. Like, like I said, the inequities of our system uh, were laid bare with this because that also trickled down to the kids. This is one of those times where trickle down works. Um, it's when it's excrement. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's, 
but like straight up it's we were being abused and we were transferring that abuse onto the kids and our justification was well i'm grading this and now it's going back up the other way it's i i don't want to have to do this because there is like my house has been invaded by my work which is why i have that ritualistic half hour um and and that does take care of it for the most part but like you know we we essentially have started tending to ourselves because we've you know hit crisis point and that's causing us to rethink what we do for our kids not to our kids and so yeah ed's Ed's absolutely right um you know what work do i actually need to grade and put them through and how can i deliver better instruction to them um and help them learn more with doing less uh essentially busy work because that became a tool of of oppression I was uh, also want to ask one more thing, and then we're going to move on to the mental health thing before we wrap it up. Um, what I've seen a couple of teachers uh, talking about to really, really think about what grade you're giving your students uh, this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, did anybody really fail this this year? Like, how can you really say that somebody failed? Are Are you guys uh, what what how what's your approach to grading this year? Do you want to take it first, Dean, or? Yeah, I'll I'll go first. So uh, there's a friend of mine, uh, Manuel Rustin, uh, who wrote an article last year about give them all A's. Uh, And he's an educator down and he's a teacher down in uh, uh, Southern California uh, who uh, he has a doctorate. So we'll call him Dr. Rustin, kiddo. Um, But uh, he he uh, he wrote an article said give them all a's and i read it and i was like all right and i called him up i said i just have two questions and if you answer those for me i'm on board and he did and and i gave all my students last spring a's i didn't care what they had done up to that point i gave them all a's and then this and that was a one-time only thing now this year <clears throat> to avoid doing that quite honestly because then then it becomes is just a free-for-all and i'm not down for that but I, I redid my grading scale so that instead of, and I think we all grew up with this zero to 59 is an F 60 to uh, 69 is a, is a D nice. Uh, and then 70 to 79 is a C and 80 to 89 is a B and 90 on up is an A. I separated it into quintiles. My district tried to say, okay, everybody starts at 50% now. And I'm like, well, what you're doing is what I'm about to do. So I'm just going to do this. So zero to 20 is an F and it's just every 20% is another grade up. So it's real easy to climb out of failing um, with minimal effort. Uh, and every kid, uh, the other thing is I don't, I don't believe in late work anymore. So there's no due dates really. And there's, yeah. they, they can also redo assignments. So because of those things, I think that I'm going to see a lot fewer kids failing. Um, yeah. And I think that the way that I've addressed the grading has been to uh, be more equitable as well. And it's still getting me where I want to be. Because, you know, to get the five out of five, you you have to have done it perfectly. To get the four out of five, you have to have done it like 80%, you know, and that's pretty proficient when you're learning a language. Um, so that's that's what I've done to, to adjust. Um, and so I'm not passing everybody wholesale like I did last time, because last time we, we were in the middle of a crisis that nobody had planned for. Well, I planned all summer for this. So now it's quintile grading. It's much easier to pass. Um, and it's just as difficult to get an A as it probably should have been. So the, the, the thing is, though, I'm having to go rogue. I, I may well get a letter in my file about this 
and I welcome it. I, I tell them, I, I use this phrase quite often of like, oh, go ahead and write me up for this. I'm more than happy to respond. And so far there's been nothing, so, which is good. Because my principal totally backs me. He's like, this, this looks very fair and kind and compassionate to the kids. This looks equitable. Um, anybody can access this. I, I have no problem defending you on this. So, so that's what I've been doing uh, as far as grades go. Um, I'm, I'm not quite the, the genius at equity that, that Damien is, uh, but I, I have smarter I, friends in education. Yeah, That's the only yeah. difference. All right. You have me. Uh, yeah, well, I have, yeah. I have Manuel. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But you know, my, my take on it, um, has, I mean, in, in a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. I, I am not penalizing anybody for turning anything in late. Um, and, and I have to put due dates on assignments. I, I learned this the hard way. Originally, I was not putting due dates on assignments. Um, and then I wound up, you know, having a kid with, with a grade showing up as a, you know, 20% or something. And his, I got, I got a flurry of very angry emails about nothing is showing up is missing and da da da. And the reason nothing was showing up is missing is because there was no due date attached. So the program that we're using to handle giving assignments out didn't register that, no, no, he hasn't turned this in, but it's not due yet. So it's not, anyway. So, so I had to put due dates on stuff, but I've let the kids know those are advisory. Don't worry about them. You know, I'm, I'm putting that there. So you have an idea of when I'm going to look at it and, and assign a grade. But, you know, if you, if you turn it in after that, you're still going to get graded on it. You're still going to get credit for it. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, if, if, if somebody has shown up, I'm not going to fail them is, is kind of basically my policy. I gave, I will, I will say I gave out a lot of D's for the semester, but if somebody, but if somebody has shown up, I am not going to fail them. Um, my, my principal and my department chair, uh, who, who is a mutual acquaintance of, of mine and Damien's, I'm not going to mention her <laughs> name because she hasn't given us, she hasn't given us permission to, uh, but my, my department chair was just bristling at the idea floated by my principal that, you know, you know, if a kid doesn't turn something in, you know, give them, give them 50% instead of a zero, because it's easier to get them out of the hole with 50% than it is with a zero, you know, and she, she kept coming back, well, you know, if a kid hasn't done anything, you know, hasn't turned, turned in a damn thing all semester. I'm like, if a kid hasn't turned in a damn thing all semester and you give them 50% and you're going with a standard grading scale, they still get an F. So if you still want to be punishing kids for not turning anything in, you can you do it. that on the math. Like the math still holds up. Yep. You know, I'm going to, and, and, I, and I said to him, you know, I'm going to come in as the, you know, soft-hearted commie liberal here. Uh, but I, I don't know if I want to be punishing kids when I don't know what's going on at home. Yeah. You know, I don't know what they're having to deal with. I know for a fact I have several of my kids. Like back in March, I I got an email. Uh, just even talking about this is gonna is gonna be hard because we're, we're about to talk about the mental health thing. But I I got I got an email from one of my kids, who back when we were in person, she was one of the bright spots in my day. You know, we're not supposed to have favorites, but we 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 do. Like you know, there there are some there are some kids that that you look forward to seeing she was she was one of mine just really bright really really engaged 
had a, had a lively sense of humor and I got an email from her and she told me that she was literally depressed enough that getting out, getting out of bed to walk to the couch in her living room was all she had the energy to do some days. And she was falling. God, this poor kid was falling over herself to apologize to me for not getting her work turned in. Right. And like, she's one of the ones who was brave enough to say something to me. Yeah. So how many more are not? Like how, how many, many more, more don't have them? the energy or the courage or the, the vocabulary? Like there's so like, many yeah, things that so we, many things, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, so, I mean, that was, that was, that was an eye opening moment for me back in March. And that has colored the way that I have dealt with my kids in, in these circumstances ever mm-hmm. since. Yeah. Because I have literally no way of knowing yeah. what they're having to deal with. And if it's not them that's that depressed, it might be an older sibling. It might be their parent. They might be dealing with COVID in their home. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of these kids work or school work for me, school for them was the safe place. They would do after school tutoring. So they had an hour to take care of their classes because uh, when they got home, they were th- they were second or third parent. I had a kid who's he's uh, one of five. He's the eldest of five. He gets no homework done at home because he's always tending to the other four. And I'm not spurning his parents. These are the decisions that we have to make as, as families to, to survive. And survival is way more important than whether or not he understands Latin. Um, and, you know, just like Ed said, I, I, I do not and cannot know what they are doing at home because they didn't sign on to public education with the expectation that they'd be stuck at home, sometimes with their abusers. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if I'm going to punish a kid grade wise for that, because that's just going to deepen the cycle for them. And it's going to fail them in, in other terrible ways, yeah. you know, and, and who knows, like, I know that when we come back, I'm going to be approaching grading from a very, very different space, which is good. Like I'm not going back to normal because normal wasn't good. And this is, this is showing that. And so, like Ed said, these, these are kids who they're at home like I don't insist that they turn on their cameras because it was not agreed that they would come to school and bring their background with them, you know? So I'll be damned if I'm going to force them to do that. And I have colleagues who are all about that and, and very much like, how can I punish? And I'm like, you could do that by not talking to me then. Cause I have, I have no interest in talking with people who are interested in punishing kids into doing better. It's like, that's, that's not appropriate here. And frankly, it probably wasn't appropriate before. Um, and so it's shifted, I think, a lot of us teachers into realizing our complicity in that. And a lot of us are kind of never againing it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like Ed was saying, um, we can't know what they've got going on. So how dare we uh, penalize them for that? Yeah. What, what, how I want to shift to mental health and how I want to approach the mental health thing, because we all know that this has just been like tremendous on everyone's mental health but here's what i want to here's how i want to talk about the mental health here in this last little segment is that what can we do immediately when we come back to help address and make sure because we're adults and i've had therapy i don't know if you guys have had therapy but when we have therapy we address the stuff from our childhood right and we finally we fix that shit 
and we, we patch it up and we move forward. What can we do right when we come back to help alleviate the long-term effects of what these kids have gone through in the last year? I think, I think the very first thing we can do is we can be really mindful of, I think, for, for a lot of us, and I'm, I'm going to admit, I, I don't know for certain that I'm going to be one of these people, but I fear I will be. I, I think there's going to be a really strong urge to just, you know, start everything up like, you know, we're back to normal. Everything is awesome. Here we go. And we never need to speak of that ever again. And, and I think papering over what they all went through is one of the biggest disservices that we can do. Um, I, I think districts and I think administrators are going to want to just like, we got to get them in the classroom. We got to get back to work. We got to, you know, and deliver and, and, these proficiencies. Yeah, we got to, we got to <laughs> deliver these. We got to deliver these numbers. We got to get test scores, you know, back in line with what they're supposed to be. And in a rush to do that, I think there's going to be like, we don't need to dwell on the past. We don't want to, you know, wallow in, in what's, you know, it's over now and we're, we're on the other side of it. And like, okay, yeah, we're, it's over and we're on the other side of it, but let's make sure we leave space for recognition of there has not been a generation that's had to go through this in literally a century. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe being a history teacher is helpful here, but, you know, we have all just lived through a massive historical event. A massive and, historical trauma. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it, and it turns out that really sucks. Um, you know, and, and we, as the, and, and, and across the board, uh, teachers, parents, counselors, healthcare providers, whoever, anybody who's dealing with kids, I think we need to be really careful to really make a point of being open and listening to them. Because, I would, yeah. because what you, let, let me just finish this, this yeah, one yeah, thing. Absolutely. What, what you said about um, dealing with the stuff from our childhood when we go to Jesse, when, when we go to therapy, I think the thing is, if we don't try to paper it over, it will require less therapy later on to deal with it. If we give them the space to process it and genuinely be open to the emotional process of, of, and recognizing that they kids have an emotional process too. Like adults aren't the only ones who, who are going to, who are going to have to deal with this kids. Kids have been through this and we need to give them the space to, to not be okay after it's over. And it's okay to not be okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're not, you know, you're not being weak. You're not, not being right. a, an adult. Yeah. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, yeah, that's literally that is literally something I've said to my kids in in our our classroom meetings repeatedly is, you know, trying to get trying to get a check in from them, trying to get the temperature of the room and just saying, guys, you know, look, if you're not OK, it's OK that you're not OK right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I would add um, and my experience is a little different. I have a child with special needs. Uh, my son has autism um, and my focus with him from the beginning um, has always been to meet him where he's at <clears throat> and then figure out how to carry him forward or how to help him better yet, carry himself forward. Uh, and it, that shaped, that 
shifted my my teaching style to begin with. And I think a lot of teachers are are about meeting kids where they're at and then and then going from there. Well, this this just deepens the necessity for that. Um, we need to meet those kids where they're at. And having children through a divorce, um, I also learned how to model feeling your feelings. Instead of bottling them up or going away and crying, I'd cry in front of them. Um, and we would talk about it after or during, you know, and they would want me to stop. And I'd be like, no, you don't get to stop me from feeling sad. I'm going to feel sad and that's perfectly okay. And if I can teach that to a three and six-year-old, I can certainly teach that to 14 to 18-year-olds. Yeah, and and yeah. to give them, and, and I've already done a decent job. I'm going to pat myself on the back a bit for that. My students would come to me and, and come up in the beginning of class like, Mr. Harmony, <clears throat> can I go to the bathroom? I need to have a good cry. I was like, yeah, of course, go for it. Have fun. Um, and come back when you're ready. And that's all yeah. I would say. And when they'd come back, there'd be chocolate waiting for them on their desk. And so just that attitude, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to dial up the saturation of those colors quite a bit. Um, yeah. And also, you know, I, I have the unique situation of I'm teaching within my own program. I am my program. So I know exactly where the kids left off last year and where I need to carry them this year. And so I have direct feedback based on what I know I did. Um, but if I have to teach social science again, I, I always teach social science as though they knew nothing, uh, not to disparage my colleagues at all, but because I don't know where these kids are, how much attention they paid or whatnot. And so always meet the kids where they are and always try to carry them forward and help them carry themselves forward. Um, and now do it with a kinder hand and model for them how you're feeling your feelings. Like I, I have cried in front of my students a few times uh, at things that have happened and, and stuff like that. And it, See, it has enabled if, if them. I'm, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it, it's enabled them quite a bit to take charge of their own feelings. And like I said, you know, if they want to go off and have a good cry, they can. Uh, and, and my kids will tell each other regularly, like, I'm having a really hard time. Can I can I get some, you know, some encouragement here? And the kids will absolutely put down what they're doing and do that. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about your work. You take care of each other. Like that's going to last a lot longer, you know, uh, who, who uses, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to need Latin the rest of your life, but, uh, but these skills, you know, you need right now. So, but, so that's, that's probably where I'm headed um, as far as when I'm in the classroom of just like, Hey, uh, today is a day where we just need to be. And that's, that's going to have to be okay. Cause it's okay not to be okay. So, yeah. 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 And with what you were saying about crying in front of your students, uh, I'm, I'm enough of a softy that if I let myself cry freely in front of my students, I, I, it, it wouldn't stop. Like there's <laughs> stuff I, stuff I show them in videos that I'm like, okay, I got to stay in the back of the room, hold it together, right. hold it together. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's not like I'm experiencing some kind of, you know, deep, it's just, there, there's it's such a beautiful moment from history like you know yeah. no, I, can't. I know that I, I was I was raised by a military man I can't bring myself to be quite that soft yeah in front of the troops but you know I may I may I may amend that so that when we get back together I allow myself one manful tear as I stare into the distance <laughs> with eyes like flint petting the dog you never wanted but now is your best friend kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're my best friend oh hey yeah. is that uh guys, is that uh, penelope yeah it's penelope yeah, yeah that's right yeah. um really want to thank you for your time and for your openness and your candidness about this this the stuff we talked about today um 
I want to see if we could end on a well, not that it was this was a somber podcast at all, but uh, Damien, did mm-hmm. you watch the Mandalorian finale yesterday? I did, but Ed did not. Okay, we'll, we'll stop yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've so. I've, I've heard there are big so, things. Yeah, we're gonna, and, we're not gonna talk yeah. about it. It was great. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I, I got right before right before the the pandemic hit, I got a I got a new car. Uh, my my old my old vehicle was I a two seat convertible. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my my uh, old car was a two seat convertible, and now that I have a toddler, um, we we needed a second car that could actually hold a car seat. Uh, so I wound up getting a a juke, and uh, the very first customization, the very first thing I did. Uh, in terms of yeah, I have a new car. Was I went out and I got a uh, Clan Mudhorn uh, glyph sticker to put in the back window because the, my car the is the razor crest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the symbol. I, I have I have that on my car because my car is the razor crest. And uh, so a couple of episodes ago, without giving away any spoilers, I was very sad <laughs> with. Uh, <laughs> With with a couple of events, a couple of episodes ago, because that every time he crashes that ship, it breaks my goddamn heart. Because I'm like, no, <laughs> my car. But yeah. Oh, All right, guys. Well, th- again, thanks a lot. Uh, I applaud yeah. you guys as humans and especially as teachers. And uh, uh, I look forward to chatting to you guys uh, when this is all over. Come over and have a cup of coffee, and we'll. Oh yeah listen to some records or something yeah we'll do we'll do a trio like, version of a geek history of time it'll be it'll yeah. be fun we can yeah, yeah. 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 I, I i know um late 80s early 90s wrestling no mid mid 80s uh bob backland the iron sheik sergeant slaughter wwf yeah that's uh, early 80s that's yeah that's wwf yeah yeah that's, that's well that's we've cool. got We've got five episodes that cover that, and then we've got another four episodes that cover the NWO, and then I pretty much weave wrestling into any episode that we ever talk about because it's like the only thing I know more than Latin. Uh, so yeah, it's it's there's 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 a buffet for you. There is there 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 is a lot of. Say it again, Jesse. Have you had Johnny Taylor on to talk about wrestling? Uh, you know, he and I did a uh a a video cast for a little while where we watched wrestling matches and discussed them um but then he got busy and i got busy and the tech wasn't working the, the way that either of us wanted um uh i had johnny on to talk about a horror movie because he also liked horror movies uh-huh. um and then we haven't had him on for for wrestling because um it, it, one thing that johnny said about me on our podcast was he's like wow you don't enjoy anything casually do you <laughs> So, <laughs> he I, is, can't, I, I think i think the specific yeah. line was something like you, you can't enjoy anything without over analyzing yeah yeah <laughs> so uh and he's not wrong uh it's kind yeah, of the well, whole point but that's of the podcast. what we do yeah like that's our shtick man yeah. why you gotta why you gotta say that like it's a pejorative <laughs> like and you know, and I like to blend that with my other uh, project of, of capital punishment. So like, I just, you know, 
anything I can do, uh, apparently, that doesn't pay money, um, I'm going to stack them up as high as I can. And, and do it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and do it a lot. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up. And uh, I'll, I'll add links to all your stuff. No need to try to plug it because no one listens to that part anyway. But it's in the it's on the episode page. <laughs> cool. And, uh, and we'll get you there. But thanks, thanks a lot for joining me this Saturday morning. And I look forward to chatting with you guys. Thanks. All right. Look forward to it as well. Thank you very much. All right.